Well, good morning again, everyone. Welcome to Hope Brooklyn Church Online. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Russ. I'm one of the pastors of this community and uh, happy Father's Day to any of the fathers who are tuning in. Um, this will actually, my, uh, my wife and I were expecting our first in November. So for my first sort of unofficial Father's Day, my, my wife said that my barbershop money was now going to my child's wardrobe. And so instead she took a five minute tutorial on YouTube and proceeded to give me a haircut. Um, happy Father's Day. I don't know, maybe a sign of things to come. Um, but uh, I'm so excited that you're joining us. Dads, thank you for uh, leading so well. Thank you for loving so well. We need you now more than ever um, to be examples of what it means to be filled with the presence of God. And just um, for the dads that I know in the Hope Brooklyn community, you do that. You exemplify that and you provide such a model for me to emulate. And uh, so I'm super grateful for you today. Um, we are in a series, Missio Day. We are coming to the end of this series. Actually, today and next Sunday are the final two installments of the Missio Day sermon series, God on Mission, where we're looking at what does it look like uh, to join God in his mission to reach all the world with the love found in Jesus Christ. Um, I'm excited for today's message and next Sunday's, but I also want to preview what's coming up this summer. So as you guys know, we're going to be um, staying and, and hopefully moving to in-person house churches at some point, but it's still going to be all pre-recorded online, church online services. But as Anna and I announced at the All Church meeting uh, a couple weeks back, uh, we're actually going to be taking sabbatical this summer. It was already previously scheduled at the start of this year. We went back and forth on whether we should, um, but we felt, felt deeply and still feel deeply in our souls that um, God is calling us away from, from leadership right now in this, in, in this summer. Um, to recharge our batteries and to remember that before um, I am a pastor, before uh, we lead Hope Brooklyn, uh, we are sons and daughters of God. So I'm going away to be with my father and I'm looking forward to it. I covet your prayers, we covet your prayers in that. Um, but I'm super excited for Hope Brooklyn and, and for what we'll, what we'll be talking about this summer because I'm really gathering um, a group of my friends both from within the Hope Brooklyn community, but also friends in, in our denomination, Foursquare, from across the country. Um, and they're going to be, since it's all online, they're gonna be pre-recording some messages, really looking at the concept of a first love. So getting back to the idea of what was it like the first time they encountered God in his fullness and, and what passage of scripture really spoke to them. It's gonna be a summer of testimonies in a lot of ways, because I don't know about you, but right now in this season where things feel uncertain and we're exhausted and there's a lot of stuff going on, I wanna be reminded of, of the stability and the sovereignty of God. I wanna, I wanna tap back into the heart of God's first love for us. So that's what this summer is gonna be about. There's some phenomenal speakers uh, lined up. So I'm just really excited for it. That'll be starting in July. Um, so just go ahead and, and get excited along with me because um, it's going to be a great time. But before we get to that, obviously, uh, we have two more weeks of Missio Day. And these final two missional habits uh, kind of paralleling the end of the series, they're not necessarily the most glamorous, but they're super important. They're really, really vital uh, to, what is it, to what it means to, to walk with God in this life, to be filled with the power of his presence. And today, uh, what we wanna talk about is the missional habit 
of staying encouraged, of taking heart. I know, it's such an interesting phrase to, to take heart. You see that command actually uh, quite a few times uh, in the New Testament. Jesus says it a bunch of times to his disciples, but that's not the one we're going to look at. We're actually going to look at uh, one verse in the book of Acts, toward the end of the book of Acts, toward the end of Paul's life. He's in prison, and Jesus shows up and says the same thing. So let's, let's look at this verse together. It's from Acts chapter 23, uh, verse 11. It says, The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, take heart. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. There's one verse. Take courage, Paul. Take heart. And I believe what God would be saying to all of you guys tuning in today, whether you would call yourself a follower of, of God or not, say, take courage. Take heart. The story's not over. There's a lot left to, to happen. There's a lot of the game left to play. So take heart right now. When I played football in high school um, for one year, one famous, infamous year, and I wasn't famous. I don't know why I said that. When I played football in high school, um, one of the things our coaches would tell us is that state championships are won in the fourth quarter. State championships are won in the fourth quarter. And what do they mean by that? Well, they meant that often, and especially as you get further into the playoffs, a lot of the teams are equally matched. They have um, uh, equal skill, equal talent, equal energy. And so when they go toe-to-toe, um, there's, there's, there's not a lot to separate them. But football is, is four quarters, um, and the fourth quarter is the final 15 minutes of the game. And something really interesting happens in the fourth quarter. People get tired. Energy is gone, is zapped. And when you get tired in sports and in anything, um, your technique starts to go, um, your, your muscle memory starts to go, your, your ability to think clearly in situations starts to go, and stuff is revealed in you. Um, and that stuff that's revealed is what separates those who win state championships and those who don't. So the context of the passage that we just read in Acts, um, Paul is toward the end of his life. It's toward the end of the book. And Paul's life has got progressively worse. <laughs> Uh, when he met Jesus in Acts chapter 8, he was still Saul. He was, a, uh, a, he was rising in the ranks of Pharisees in the, in the Jewish faith. Um, there was a lot of glory surrounding him, a lot of upward mobility, a lot of trajectory in his life. And he met Jesus and it, 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 nothing, nothing else mattered. He just wanted God. And, and over the course of Acts, we saw that uh, Paul has been empowered by God to go to various Jewish regions, outposts throughout the Roman Empire, and tell them that the, their Messiah had come, that Jesus was the Messiah, that, that uh, all the things that were written in the scriptures had happened to him, and that God had raised him from the dead. And that was not met well or not met warmly, and so it really, uh, Paul's life has not gotten better. It's actually gotten progressively worse and worse. And uh, in, our, in our scene, in our passage, um, Paul had just returned to Jerusalem after being gone, uh, pretty much the whole story. And obviously rumors are swirling about him. You know, uh, is he a Gentile sympathizer? Who is he? he he's trying to do uh, the rites of purification to, 
convince people that hey, I'm 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 just as much a member of the people uh, of people of Israel now as I have ever been. I just believe that the Messiah has come. And then he has this one line where he goes, I stand on trial before you today because of my belief in the resurrection of the dead. And with that, uh, the tribunal erupts, it explodes, which we'll talk more in a second why that is. Uh, Paul is like in the middle of all this chaos. He's pulled aside, he's taken to jail. Uh, and, and as he's sleeping that night, that's when God shows up and said, take heart, take courage, take courage. Because as you testified about me in Jerusalem, you're going to be taken to Rome to also bear witness to me, to who I am. And that's the context. That's where we find this passage today. And so for the rest of Paul's life, he'll be taken from jail to jail, from trial to trial, and he'll bear witness to who Jesus is and to what God has done by raising one person back to life and by pouring out a spirit on many people. And he's just tired. Paul's tired. Um, maybe you can relate. He's like, I've told you already before, you still don't believe me. I, I'm weary. Um, as we consider our own context today, maybe uh, with aspects of racial justice, it's like we're weary. We're, we're just tired. We've, we've talked about this before. What's going to change? Or maybe you're there and you're like, look, I've been praying for this thing for a long time and nothing has happened. I'm, I'm weary, God. When, when is it going to change? Or, or I've been trusting your promises um, and, and I've been holding on to your goodness, but nothing's happened. To which God shows up to Paul in the cell and I pray he shows up to you today and says, take heart, take courage, take heart. The story's not over yet. That word take heart is really fascinating. It's tharseo, which literally means to be uh, to radiate warmth, but the radiation comes from the inside. It's not anything from the outside. It's something from the, the inside of a person that radiates outward. And so when you sort of put it together and you think about it, when Jesus shows up, Paul says, take heart. What's he saying? He's saying, take my heart, Paul, because my spirit dwells in you. So don't sort of tune out the outside stuff and go back and, and remember our relationship. Take my heart heart, Paul. Let that exude out of you. Let that exude the courage, the steeliness, the resolve you need to continue walking this path of life because it's not over yet. To take heart is literally to take God's heart, to receive through his relationship um, with us, to receive his heart from the inside and let it exude outward. And when we do that, when we as a missional habit, uh, when we're growing weary, when we take God's heart from the inside, I think that does, has three main consequences. The first is that it reveals our citizenship. It reveals our citizenship. When, when, when Jesus showed up to Paul, he said, just as you testified about me in Jerusalem, you're gonna have to testify about me in Rome. Paul is in Jerusalem, he'll be taken to Rome, but in both places he'll experience suffering. Now here's the other interesting thing about Paul. He is both a Jewish and a Roman citizen. So he's testifying in both places, but yet he doesn't quite belong to either of those places. In Jerusalem, the context immediately leading up to our passage, when Paul says, I am on trial because of my, resurre because of my belief in the resurrection from the dead, that starts the uproar. 
And I mean, the, the reason why, and I think it says it in Acts, but uh, the main people in the tribunal were, were a member of one of two parties. They were a member of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. And one of the key disagreements between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders, was their belief in the resurrection of the dead. And so when Paul says that, he basically is put in the middle of this like this civil war between the Pharisees and the Sadducees that's been going on forever. And they're both trying to pull Paul onto their side. But Paul is like, hey, I'm actually not on either of your sides fully. I mean, technically, my belief in the resurrection would fall on the Pharisees' side. So sure, you can see some similarity there. But I also believe that God has already raised Jesus, which is fundamentally different than what the Pharisees believe. And this really explains something super important for us as, as followers of Jesus, as those who take God's heart, is that our citizenship is not in this world. It's not in Jerusalem, nor it's in Rome. We work for the good. We bear witness to God in both these places. But we are not primarily a citizen of this world. We are a citizen of God's kingdom. And that's, that's something that I think is really important for us in this season. Everyone is always trying to recruit the church, assuming that though we might have a similar belief, therefore we are on their team. We want the same things, but we don't. We have a fundamentally different orientation. Uh, followers of Jesus, the church, we, we are not recruited into other people's teams. And this sounds a little harsh, I don't mean it harsh, but we are not recruited onto other people's teams. We actually are recruiting people onto our team. We're recruiting people saying, hey, we might have similar goals, but the way we're gonna get to those goals is completely different because we believe that the only way that we're gonna have lasting peace and lasting justice is when everyone's heart knows that it can't come from us, that we need God. When God indwells every heart, then we'll be getting closer to it. And so like even in this season, you know, people look at the church like, oh, are you Democrat or are you Republican? N no, and yes, and not, no. <laughs> like we, we believe in governance to God, like we, our submission is to Jesus. So whether it's big government, small government, that's not even the right question for us. If all hearts have abandoned power and love God. Or, or even like in this, this current moment, like oh, black lives matter or blue lives matter? And I realize that's a tricky one right there. But we would say as a church, restoration. We are for the restoration of all people, which means that that might mean we say black lives matter right now, because based on the, the premise and, the, and the, um, the imbalances in our society, that's how we can get at restoration. But we are for all people, as we saw two weeks ago, all people coming into right relationship with God, being restored into the full image of children of God. That's what we're for. So it's, it's, it's not, we, we are not being recruited onto anyone's team. We are already doing something utterly different. Our citizenship is not this world. It's not. And that sort of brings up sort of this human instinct of like, um, and this is very simplistic, but we have motivations, right? And then we have those motivations take on beliefs or actions, and that, that causes events. And often the church's beliefs or actions can look similar to the world's, but our motivation behind it is completely different. So take it when, when the churches, when, when we, we marched and protested uh, the other day, 80, 100 churches gathered and marched and protested. Protest is an action that looks very similar to what other groups are doing. But the motivation behind why we're protesting is very different. What we're asking for, what 
the power that, that we are relying upon, the, the motivation to, to want people to know Jesus, for God's power to be released in our country, in our land, and hearts, and systems, that is something completely different. So the first reason why it's super important that when, when we hear, when God says, take heart, and he means take my heart, is to reveal our citizenship. There will always be political sides and social sides and, and economic sides that are trying to recruit the church. And we say, no, sorry, with all due respect, we might have similar goals, but our motivations are different. So we can work side by side, but we have a fundamentally different orientation of how we're gonna get there. Instead, actually, we'll work side by side, but we're, we're trying to recruit you. We want you to know the power of God. And that's the first thing we have to keep in mind. When God says, take heart, it reveals our citizenship. Paul is a citizen of Rome and Jerusalem, and yet he's not fundamentally a citizen of either of those places. He's a child of God. He's a citizen of heaven. And that, that kind of bleeds into the second one. So if the first reason uh, when God says, take heart, take courage, take my heart, my courage, the first consequence of that is that it reveals our citizenship. The second is it causes us to remember our source, to remember our source. If neither Rome nor Jerusalem are in the agendas of both of them, if neither the Sadducees nor the Pharisees fully captures the heart of Paul and the heart of, of, of a Jesus follower, then neither, none of those places, neither of those groups are the full source of Paul's encouragement. And I think what we remember in these moments is that the source of our joy, the source of our hope, the source of our courage, the source of our, our humility, the source of our justice, the source of our generosity, the source of the direction, the orientation of our lives is geared toward one end and is, emerges from one place. It emerges from the relationship we have with God through Jesus. And the temptation always is if we forget our citizenship, then we'll also forget our source. The temptation is that uh, things go well and we start getting encouraged by them. And there's nothing wrong with allowing ourselves to hope when we see things happening that is in accordance with what God wants and heading in the right direction. But also those things that go well can just as quickly go south. And then if that's the case, if that's where we're finding our courage, our encouragement, then we're gonna find discouragement there. And, and the reality is the source behind how we enter into our days is entirely different. The source is that God has already accepted us because he's raised Jesus from the dead. And this brings something else that we're seeing in this season that we're in. That there is a strong biblical correlation between suffering and remembering our source, remembering that there is no power stronger than the power of God through his love. Strong biblical correlation. And, and it reminds me of something that Tim Keller said once where he goes, you know, God's agenda for all human uh, kind is to reveal his love to them. That's all he wants. He wants to reveal and, and have a right and good relationship with all of us again. And therefore God will use everything. He'll work through everything to reveal that. He'll work through both our successes and our failures 
to reveal that none of that has power over us and none of that uh, qualifies or disqualifies us from relationship with God. He'll work through it. But Tim Keller said, it's a lot harder for God to work through successes. And it makes sense. When things are going well in, in your life, what happens? People are showing up, they're jumping on the bandwagon. Um, it's, you're very tempted to think, oh, it's because of me or my strength or my ability that this has happened. You find encouragement from all these good, but ultimately um, weak places. When things go wrong, when the, the job is lost, when the relationship is lost, when your sin is revealed or you reveal just how weak you are, um, when, when no one's coming around, then all those sources of life for you, of encouragement, aren't there. Which means it's finally, all the distractions are out of the way and God is able to reveal that he's been there the whole time. And he is the one source of life and love and hope and truth and peace that, that never goes away. So you see this correlation between suffering and remembering the source, which is intimacy with God. There's a, a, a theological word for this. It's called being cruciform, cruciformity. And essentially, it's, it's derived from the statement that Jesus made to his disciples. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, deny himself, pick up his cross, and come die with me. It's what we see in the life of Paul. We see the more that Paul's life goes on, those other sources of encouragement, they kind of dry up, which sends him to be like, who else do I trust in? Oh, I trust in the power of God because this is the path that Jesus walked. Therefore, it's the path for us as well. And so in this season where we're super tired, we're super weary, uh, there's suffering all around. God is saying, take heart, which is to say, remember that all those things that you were trusting in, None of them will bring lasting life for you. The only thing that brings lasting life is my love, my intimacy with you. Remember your source. So taking heart allows us to reveal our citizenship. It allows us to remember our source. And the last thing when, when Jesus shows up to Paul says, take heart, stay encouraged, take my life in you. The last consequence of that is that it readies the next generation. It readies the next generation. It reveals our citizenship. It helps us remember our source and it readies the next generation. When the Lord encourages your heart, gives you his heart, it creates such a poignancy around your life. It creates such a warmth again that radiates out of you that is unlike any other warmth that you see that people talk, that, that people like this person is different. And the next generation takes note because they haven't seen a life like this one. In the book, Just Mercy, um, Brian Stevenson, who uh, leads the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, has really worked with, with people on death row, uh, unjustly on death row. And when he opens the book, he tells the story of, uh, of a man who, this was his first like experience with someone on death row. And um, they're having a conversation the man kind of got good news, but also it's just such an unjust situation. The whole thing of his case of why he was there, why he was on death row, just wasn't fair in any sense. And, um, and then um, 
as, as the, the story is coming to an end and the man is, is being let out and he's kind of being treated a little harshly, um, the man begins to sing a hymn just out of nowhere. He begins to sing a hymn. And Brian Stevenson said he was, he was nervous. He was like really frazzled. But as soon as this man started singing the hymn, it was like this peace came over him. It didn't matter. I mean, it mattered that he was in prison. It mattered that this was unjust. This was about to change the course of Brian Stevenson's life. But in that moment, there was a, a warmth and a power in that man ex- radiating outward that no one in that room could touch. It revealed that man's citizenship. It helped him remember his source of life in that moment, just like Paul in prison. And it readied the next generation because from this moment, Brian Stevenson said that he realized that this was his calling. And not only that, but this man's story was the first story recounted in the book that millions of people have now read. Paul, by taking the heart of Jesus in Acts 23, is story of one man in prison, one man in prison, bearing witness to God, has now inspired billions of people across the world. When we take the heart of God, it not only reveals our citizenship, it reminds us of our source, but also the next generation is watching and taking note of something different, a different way of staying encouraged, a different hope, a different seeking of justice, a different motivation, a different sense of grace, a different power, a different warmth different life that is radiating outward, which no one can categorize, no one can co-opt. And the only thing you can do is be like, what is this? It changes lives. It readies the next generation. Which brings me back to the football example. When our coaches said that state championships are won in the fourth quarter, what are they saying? They're saying in those first three quarters, you're exhausting all your energy. Everything is, is, is uh, exhausted, you're tired, uh, you're beaten up, you're bruised, you're wearied. And in the fourth quarter, when the technique starts to go, when the muscle memory starts to go, when the mental uh, acuity starts to go, do you know what's revealed in the fourth quarter? People's hearts. You see in the fourth quarter what was at the inside of someone's heart and what was inspiring and encouraging them. You see those who simply lived for the Friday night lights, the games, who, wasn't, who weren't putting effort in the weight room, who weren't putting effort in practices, and it shows in those moments. And then you also see those who actually, when no one else was watching, was putting in work in the weight room, was putting in work learning the playbook, was putting in work uh, working with teammates on routes, you see the people's hearts who truly love the game, love the team, who had a different motivation. That's what's revealed in the fourth quarter. And when you see that, the underclassmen are taking note and saying, oh, this is what it means to be on this team, to play football for this school. Friends, in this season where you are weary, I know it, you are weary, I am weary, it is so important that we that we take the heart of Jesus again, that we don't forget. We don't forget what our motivation is and what our source is, what our citizenship is, where we're headed, what fills us because the world is watching. The next generation is watching. 
and it from us will radiate the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will be a people in this world, but not of this world. We will be a people of deep truth and deep conviction and deep justice, but also a people that goes about it differently with a different motivation and hope and joy and grace and us that is unlike anything else. Take heart, friends. Take heart. The world needs the church now more than ever. Pray with me. God, I just pray right now that everyone tuning in, whether they would call themselves a follower of you or not, that right now they would sense your presence, that they would sense your heart for them, for them. That even though they are uh, broken, even though they um, have uh, mistakes in their lives, failures in their hearts, even though they're weary beyond belief, that right now that they would just offer those things up to you and allow you to tell them that none of that stuff, none of that stuff gets in the way of your love. Your love is deeper and stronger than that. So right now, God, would you encourage the heart of your church? Would you give us your heart so that we can reveal our citizenship, that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We're headed somewhere different. We belong to a different kingdom so that we can remember our source. Our power comes not from whether the world's getting better or worse or anything like that. Our power comes from your love that raised Jesus from the dead. We know you and therefore, our encouragement comes from our hope that you raise Jesus from the dead. You're going to raise us and there is no sin that can stop your great plans. So we rest in that. We step into it, God. We take a breath and remember it's not up to us. It's not on our shoulders. It's already on yours and you've already won the victory. And we just pray for more of your presence in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for your heart. We receive it today. It's in your name. Amen.